We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Didn't do what Swaggy P do. <laughs> Teammates played great, and we um, came out with the victory, you know? I'm just trying to really get my, my NBA 2K rating up. I, can, I, can, I just cannot take it. I, 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 I can't take it. You know, it's 12.02 right now. If they want to fire me at 12.05, I'll go home and find something to do. I'll have a good day. the Roadwire NBA podcast. It is Thursday, May 2nd. Nick Whalen here with Alex Barutha. Uh, we just learned some shocking news before we stepped into the studio here. D'Angelo Russell has been, was he arrested? Even cited? Cited. Cited for uh, alleged marijuana possession uh, at LaGuardia Airport in New York. This is shocking news uh, going into free agency for D'Angelo Russell. In your opinion, does he deserve to ever play basketball again? Um, no, I don't. I'm not sure you should ever okay. see the light of day, honestly, ever again. I would go that far. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we'll we'll see how this turns out. Um, I think it's going to be a slap on the wrist. If this was the NFL, he would be slated to miss like 40 games right. next season. <laughs> right. uh, but no, uh, this is actually kind of a funny story because he allegedly tried to hide said marijuana in a checked bag, uh, in one of those 
I'm sure you've probably seen these before. I think they sell them at one of the shops on State Street here in Madison, actually. Um, <laughs> those like hollowed out uh, Arizona iced tea cans that, for the most part, uh, on the exterior look like a regular can of Arizona iced tea, but they have like some sort of secret compartment, I guess, where you're able to hide your weed and it did not work. You put it in a check bag right? <laughs> and, and the people at the TSA at LaGuardia still were able to sniff it out. I think, uh, I think the report made it seem like as soon as they saw an Arizona iced tea bag, like, <laughs> in, or not tea bag, the, the can yeah. that they immediately pulled the bag and were like, we got to check this one out. Yeah. Like, well, that's the thing. I'm sure they see a ton of those. And I mean, Arizona iced tea is very good. It's delicious. They right. did not sponsor the podcast yet, but you wouldn't leave that in your check bag. You would bring that in your carry-on you'd want to drink it on the flight right that's very true so that's the biggest red flag to me um but anyway yeah i don't think anything will actually come of this you know it'll grab some headlines i'm sure this afternoon but i, I think d'angelo russell is going to be just fine um we have four second round series to to talk about when we recorded last week none of these had started yet um right. the clippers and the warriors were still going the spurs and the nuggets were still going uh, so we can quickly backtrack, I guess. I don't really want to talk about Clippers-Warriors. We kind of knew, and we said at the time, we kind of yeah. knew how that one was going to finish up. But I don't know how much of Game 7 of Denver-San Antonio you were able to see. But does it feel like, you know, now that we're we're two games into round two, like does it feel like the right team advanced in Denver? Yeah, I caught the second half of that mm-hmm. game. And, yeah, I mean, now that we've seen, you know, two games of this Portland-Denver series, it, it feels right. Um, you know, these teams match up pretty well against each other. And I mean, it's just, I, I think it's a more exciting series than it would have been otherwise, yeah. more competitive. Like, I'm sure, you know, San Antonio would have won a game, maybe two. Um, but yeah, I mean, seeing Jokic go against Lillard, I think is is more entertaining and really yeah. just what I wanted to see, what everyone probably wanted to see. Yeah, I think there's there's still an enduring respect for the San Antonio Spurs. Oh, yeah. Um, but I mean, as far as I'm concerned, DeMar DeRozan at this stage in his career, not super fun to watch. LaMarcus oh, Aldridge maybe one of the least fun to watch multi-time all-stars in the history of the NBA. I mean, great player, obviously. Um, but that style, you know, when you're talking about just pure watchability in what's ultimately a second round series, you know, now between Portland and Denver that no one really feels is going to have too much long-term bearing. You know, one of those teams is going to the West finals, but I don't think anyone expects either of those teams to mount a serious challenge to Golden State or maybe Houston, um, you know, let alone, do anything in, in in the finals so it does kind of feel like both of these teams while it's a fun series it is just kind of a slow march to your death in round three uh which is kind of a byproduct of what we get when you know when you get warriors rockets in round two um i guess we can start with that one so sure game one of that series was on sunday that came after the massacre in milwaukee um on the early game on sunday the mid-afternoon game rockets warriors it goes down as a Warriors, you know, 104-100 win. This, of course, was the referee game, the landing space game. Yeah. Um, you know, one that's, that's kind of been discussed at length. And, and you know, now that we're, we're through two games, you can kind of view it through a different prism. But I, I don't really see Houston coming back down 0-2. I, you know, the, the numbers say it's still possible. Um, but, you know, the way you have to frame it now is can they take four out of five from Golden State with three of those games – uh, excuse me, two of those games, I guess, being in in Oracle, uh, where, granted, Golden State hasn't really been invincible this year. They did lose two games at Oracle to the Clippers in the first round. Uh, but it did feel like game one especially was probably Houston's best chance to steal one. Yeah. And coming up short like they did, 
in in some ways, I mean, not not in terms of game flow, but in some ways, it reminded me of the Cavs in the finals last year. Where obviously that that Cavs team wasn't as good as this Rockets team, but you felt like, wow, that was a real opportunity. Golden State didn't play that well. You got a pretty good game from James Harden, who didn't shoot it all that great, but he was you know thirty five points, twenty seven from Eric Gordon, um, and then more importantly, really no one shot it all that well of the important players for Golden State. You know, Draymond was seven of nine, but a lot of those were around the basket. Durant eleven of twenty five. Curry was off. Thompson was off. Um, and then you still end up falling short, you know, to me that, and then of course compounded with the game two loss, I I just really can't see Houston, you know, making this a a six or seven game series. No, it feels kind of like a long shot. And especially with Clint Capella not playing that well, like Hargan, I mean, Hargan's one of the best individual players ever. And, you know, Chris Paul is, is playing all right, but they really need that third guy. I mean, they really need Capella or at least just one other person to step up and play sort of like a, you know, pseudo third guy in a big three kind of a role and i don't think that's pj tucker eric gordon is probably their best bet for that um but unfortunately you can't like swap out capella's minutes for mm-hmm. eric gordon's I mean, you could if you move pj tucker up you know but that doesn't feel like a real solution and i mean these games have been they like the final score ends up relatively close like they i mean the rockets you know they could have won game two um but i you look at kind of like the you know the team stats they're shooting you know the the team's effective field goal percentages are basically equal turning the ball over bench essentially at the same rate free throws are relatively equal it's just like houston's getting killed on the glass yeah like golden state warriors have 26 offensive rebounds in the series uh compared to houston's 18 in game two yeah compared to houston's 13 so like if and if you take Capella out, you're going to get her on the glass right. even more. So I, this just kind of feels like a, you know, Warriors and mm-hmm. five, maybe six situation at this point. Yeah, I, I, I went with Warriors and five in our predictions on the site, and you know, part of it, I, I expected Houston to put up a better fight. And like you said, the games have been close. I mean, losing by four in game one and six in game two, and I mean, I'm not, I don't want to say that they felt, you know, like bigger gaps because they really have been close, and you know, it's kind of been possession by possession you know, in the fourth quarter, but it, to me, it just, there was never at any point in game one or especially game two, where I felt Houston's going to win this game. Right. I thought, you know, they need X, Y, and Z to go right for them to really have a chance here. And, you know, it's, it's what a lot of people have said about Golden State since Durant when there is, you know, their ceiling is obviously raised, but what he really allows them is this just unbelievably large room for error where Mm -hmm. Steph Curry can dislocate a finger and not shoot the ball well, you know, from three in either of these games, he's three of 13 in game two clay thompson's three of nine i mean i think if you if you told houston before the series started that you'd get a game where where those two combined to go six of 22 from beyond the arc you know you <laughs> right. feel great about it and to still lose that game you know to me that's that's what's really frustrating but you, you mentioned capella the the individual counting stats were better in game two 14 and 10 two blocks two assists was a little more active but he he's still just not quite himself i think he's probably over you know the illness that was that was plaguing him at the right. end of that Utah series but he just seems he just seems lost I mean he's a minus 19 for them in 33 minutes um and and the biggest issue like you said is they, they just don't have another option like they can play you know they can go with with that that lineup of PJ Tucker at center but you're losing a ton on the other end there and and in some ways they're lucky that Golden State doesn't have DeMarcus Cousins or they'd get even further exploited I thought Nene actually played shockingly well in game one I think he played 12 or 13 minutes yeah. uh but then you know, of course, that was all negated when he was the one switched out onto Steph Curry uh, when Steph, you know, kind of hit that dagger three. So it's, 
it's the same story that we see every single playoff series that the Warriors face is that, you know, you might think you have an advantage for a quarter or for a half or for a game, but Golden State, you know, always has a counter. And, you know, usually they're going to be they're going to be more talented than you at at least four positions on the court. Right. And Durant, even though Durant's only he's only shooting, you know, 43 percent from the field, but he's hitting 44 percent of his threes and he's got 25 free throws in the series, which is crazy. I mean, he, his Durant's playoffs have been absolutely nuts. It's like also like Kawhi too. Yeah. I mean, it's it's weird that you know we are you know we spent the whole year talking about like MVP is it Giannis or is it Harden, but in the playoffs so far, it looks like Kawhi and Durant are the two best players in the league. Or I, I think, guess in the respective so. Lillard was probably in that conversation for a few games too. Right. And so yeah, it's just it's hard when um, you know Harden can play at an MVP level, but. The Warriors have two players who are MVP caliber, and yeah, it's just they, what it's turning into. Yeah, I, the Rockets have kind of gone to the extremes of their strategy in this series, and even against yeah, Utah too. Yeah. It's just you know even more hardened pick and roll, even more right. hardened ISOs, um, and it was so effective during the regular season. And you know the problems that we just mentioned, they don't have these other playmakers. And you know, Chris Paul to me has just been you know, very disappointing through these first two games against Golden State. So it's not like they have other options, but. It just seems like they keep running into a wall. They're trying the same things over and over. It's not working over and over. Um, I mean, James Harden is very quietly shooting 38% from the field in these playoffs through seven games. Um, and, you know, a big part of that is he's launching a ton of really, really tough threes. He's under 34% from beyond the arc. Um, you know, I, I I think it's now fair to say that game three is a must win for Houston because if you go down 0-3, oh, yes. I mean, let, it doesn't matter who you're playing. You go down 0-3 against the Phoenix Suns and you might not have a good chance to win that series. I mean, the right. numbers say that that's not going to happen, let alone against Golden State. Um, I mean, this series to me, I guess it's just been a little bit disappointing. The referee, you know, that that storyline kind of taking over game one, right. you know, obviously clouded what, what should have been a, a really fun competitive game. Um, and honestly, I, th- I thought the way that the players have handled that since has been pretty good, you know, as far as like yeah. Draymond coming out and kind of, I wouldn't say taking full responsibility, but, you know, it's at least having some self-awareness as to, you know, what's going on on the court and how, how players need to probably change their behavior towards refs. Uh, but overall, through two games, it's just been a really disappointing series. You know, not having LeBron in these playoffs, I think, was, was one concern for the league. But at least you had this, you know, looming Rockets-Warriors rematch. If there wasn't going to be, you know, LeBron versus Steph part five, um, you know, at least we had this matchup. And, you know, it feels like the kind of the whole NBA season has kind of culminated to this and two games in, it's just been sloppy. It's been a ton of fouls. It's been a lot of complaining. And, you know, really in the end, like we said, just hasn't seemed all that competitive. No, and not especially like entertaining to watch either. Like no, it's kind right. of a it's kind of a slog. Yeah, it's like, been competitive, but yeah, it hasn't com- been it hasn't been competitive like it was last year. Exactly. And I mean that's what everyone was hoping for. And, you know, it we might get sure it <laughs> sweeps can be competitive. I mean, that happens. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I mean it's I it's just hard for I mean, you, James Harden, this is going to be like his third year in a row, not really. I mean, his playoff performances have been mm-hmm. not great. Like, if you just go through his, you know, playoff um, game logs, essentially, I mean, he's, it's just never what he does in the regular season. And I don't know if that's because of, you know, fewer fouls being called, whether it's because a team has X amount of games to game plan for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's it's just kind of another year of, of this, I guess. I think on on Zach Lowe's podcast yesterday with with SVG, he mentioned that I, if I don't have this number right, it's close. I think he said there that Houston is up to seventy eight hardened pick and rolls per one hundred possessions in this series. Seventy eight. 
I mean, that's crazy. That's not saying it happens 78 times a game. You know, you're obviously prorating it, but I, I, I mean, is that the solution? Like, I, I guess my question is, is Harden to blame for, you know, his numbers declining in the playoffs relative to the regular season when it's very obvious what they're going to do and teams are scheming against it and the Rockets are overmatched? You know, like, right. it, it doesn't really, it, 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 you know, you're watching Harden play and, and it looks like he's struggling, uh, but at the end of the, you know, at the end of the game, he'll still have 35 points and 10 assists. It's just, you know, do you hold that against him or is it the fact that so much responsibility is on his shoulders and this is how kind of Houston has to, to to ride or die, I guess, for lack of a better term? Um, do you penalize him, you know, for having to take on that responsibility? I mean, I, partially. I mean, he has a 43% usage rate in this in this series. And I, I mean, I haven't done the research. We kind of just yeah. brought this up now. But like, I don't know. I mean, how many players of the usage rate, you know, as high as Harden's win the NBA Finals? like or you know get to the you know the conference finals or win that i i haven't haven't looked that up but i think at some point unless you know a player is so dynamic um like durant for mm. example like having that high of a usage rate i think like you mentioned you can just game plan against him um and you know you need some sort of diversity in your offense or else it just gets too monotonous and you know all the players know what's happening if you try to change something you know, if D'Antoni tries to come out and, you know, tries to cut that pick and roll number in half, mm-hmm. I mean, they haven't been doing that all year. I mean, is it just going to be able to change on a dime like that? Like, I, yeah. I doubt it. So in our roundtable piece, which is up on the site um, from, from this time last week, or actually, I guess over the weekend, I got that up. You One of the questions that I asked was, you know, which star has the most to prove in round two? Giannis, Harden, Lillard, or Kyrie Irving? And we we actually got quite a few different answers for that one. That, but yeah. you said James Harden, mm-hmm. um, and I'm, I'm quoting you here. You said, Kyrie has made one of the biggest shots in finals history. Uh, Lillard's done enough by decimating Westbrook and OKC. And this is the first time Giannis has made it to the second round. Loss isn't ideal, but the argument is easy to make that it's part of the process. So I agree on all three of those accounts. Sure. Um, you know, Kyrie, I think, still has room to climb in terms of what his overall legacy is, just because it's not like that was his team when he hit that shot. But but still, that that shot kind of bought him uh, some vindication, I think, in a lot of ways. And I agree with you that Lillard is almost judged on a different scale because he's never had a deep run, has never been on mm-hmm. the best team in the West, or you know, has never won an MVP. So like he, for him, you know, getting out of the first round is more of an accomplishment than it is for a guy like Harden. Right. Um, but you know, looking back, knowing what we know now, as you know, with Houston down 0-2, backs against the wall, um, you know, is what is the impact, I guess, on on James Harden's perception, whether it's long term legacy, you know, versus the regular season MVP status? Uh, how has that changed? You know, now that we're seven games into the playoffs for him, I think, I mean, generally, when you think of the best players in the world, guys who are perennial MVP candidates, a lot of times you're thinking of guys who play better in the playoffs or at least maintain that you know that the level that they play at in the regular mm-hmm. season and so it's hard to ever feel like you can say James Harden is the best player in the world if when it comes down to it he always all, over the past four years has played worse in the playoffs than in the regular season and it just kind of you know it's it's difficult to say because you get matched up against a team who game plans against you and if you can't beat their game plan against you then what i you know i yeah. <laughs> well i think the warriors kind of set a different standard in some ways they do where, and like I've, I've said this to you before i think i'm waiting for someone to say it. like maybe it's going to be daryl morey this year i mean the closest we've got is, is cj mccollum kind of calling out durant you know a, a while back um 
but I feel like it's always on the tip of players' tongue. Like when when Harden gets criticized, like it's got to be so hard to not say, "Look what we're going up against." You know, like what right. what do you expect when we're going up against you know this team that added Kevin Durant? Um, and you know, we're going on year three of this now, so it's you know it's not really an excuse for these guys. Um, but there is an argument to be made that if the Warriors did not exist, we would view a lot of players you know, quite a bit differently. Sure. You know, the cat, you know, LeBron maybe has another ring in Cleveland, um, you know, Harden and, and the Rockets, you know, could have, one, have, yeah. you know, could have, could have a ring would at least get to a finals. You would think, um, you know, it would really reshape, you know, a lot, in a lot of ways, the Western conference, you know? So I, I think the, the specter of this just, you know, borderline unbeatable team since they added Kevin Durant has kind of, you could make the case, I guess, that it's, it's unfairly impacted someone like Harden who in a normal 10-year, 5-year NBA stretch, gets to at least one finals. And, you know, I don't know how kind history is going to be 10, 20 years. Are we going to say, well, James Harden, you know, he got to a finals with OKC, obviously, but, you know, he never led his team to a finals. Are we going to say in 20 years, oh, that's because the Warriors were there? Like, I, I don't really know that it's going to age like that. Yeah, and it's, I don't know, it's one of those things where you can look at, like, most of his, you know, playoff history and it's just like the the percentages aren't really there. He's not really as efficient as he has been. It's even back to like you go back to his first year in Houston. It's mm-hmm. it's even like that in twenty twelve thirteen. Um, so I think it's, it's a I mean yeah, that's a hard distinction to make if you know um, one team is so dominant. Like are we judging? I don't know who a good example would be, but you had Jordan and the Bulls dominate right. the finals for so long. It's very similar to that, I think. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I guess I, I would look at, you know, some other guys. I think you, you know, someone like Gary Payton, you know, he ended up t- getting one with Miami, but obviously that was like 10 years after his prime. Carl Malone, like you still, Charles Barkley, you still talk about those guys, you know, in relation to Jordan. It's And, and I, I think, you know, it's not really a slight to them. It's just, you know, Carl Malone was really good, but Charles Barkley was really good, but and I don't, I don't look at that many less and say, oh, that well, that you know, they can't, they can't be considered a top ten or top twenty all time player. They, they never won a title. Um, you know, they had to get through Jordan. But there's always that Jordan caveat, and I, I, I'm guessing that's how we'll, we'll look at the Warriors. You know, we'll say, yeah, Westbrook never got a title. Harden, you know, maybe never got a title, but the Warriors ruled that decade, and you know, not many players did get a title. Right. Yeah, I think, I, yeah, that'll, that'll probably be the case. Um, yeah, for sure. Later mm-hmm. on, because so, I mean. If Durant leaves, then that creates a whole new narrative where it's like, right. can he, you know, what what do the Warriors become? Can he potentially step up into this role? Um, and I, I mean, assume he'll, if he leaves, he could win MVP again. Like that wouldn't shock oh, yeah. me at all, depending on where he goes. But yeah, know. I mean, that's, he does kind of put himself, it kind of resets things, I guess, for his individual narrative, because by going to Golden State, he took himself out of the MVP race you know, oh, basically yeah, for these last for these last three years, you know, and then, yeah, I think he knew that was going to, or actually, I don't know that he knew that was going to be the case, to be honest. I think ju- given what we, what we know about Kevin Durant and the the strange quotes that he's thrown out, like, I still, I still think he like doesn't quite get, you know, like the, the ramifications of that decision, you know, on yeah. his like, personal legacy, uh, but he's still young enough, you know, obviously plenty of time to add to that. Um, okay. So to put a bow on this series, you, you had Golden State in seven as your initial prediction, two games in do you want to revise that um i'll push it to i'll push it down to six okay. I'll, I'll be in the middle it does feel like houston's gonna get one of these next two right i, I mean they, they should i mean the games have been close that's the thing right. like i 
obviously like we we just talked about how golden state should be playing better but the games have yeah. still been close home court advantage it's i figured like, they'll get one they lost to the clippers twice and i mean golden state always has one lapse per series and like right, i right. know the argument maybe is they didn't take the clippers seriously they were looking ahead to houston they care about this houston series they want to prove that they're better like i also don't get that watching these games it doesn't feel like golden state is like sending a message with these wins no, they're no. just kind of eking them out like i, I don't it, they're not they haven't really been dominant so i do think houston gets one but I think I'll stick with Golden State uh, in five. Milwaukee-Boston or Portland-Denver? Let's just go Milwaukee-Boston. Okay. Um, game two, much better for the mm-hmm. Milwaukee Bucks. I still didn't love how they came out in that game. It, no. it felt a lot like game one, honestly, kind of a continuation of that where you know the score was fine. I think they were up you know six or seven at halftime, but I, it still didn't quite feel like Giannis had settled in. A, it, a lot of the Bucks just didn't seem to be able to hang on to the ball like that plainly right. just you know whether it was boston slapping it away whether it was you know kind of overrunning yourself and and just kind of losing control and, and not going up clean uh it seemed like the bucks kind of blew a lot of opportunities in the first half but third quarter comes around and they had one of their best quarters of the season really i mean <laughs> yeah. not even i mean clearly their best quarter of the postseason um and, and certainly of the series but I mean, that was the Milwaukee team that we saw early on in the Detroit series. We saw mm. for you know 70 games, essentially, uh, during the regular season. And I think, you know, the big key, and there were, there were several, you know, basically the entire roster played better than it did in game one. But Eric Bledsoe playing with confidence, yeah. not hesitating. I mean, he had some, some like really, really kind of cringeworthy moments in game one. Mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking of one where he, he had like a two-on-one, had a guy in the corner, the defender basically ran to the guy in the corner. Bledsoe picked up his dribble at the free throw line, had a wide open free throw with no one around him and just kind of double clutched a couple times and passed it out. Like clearly did not have the confidence, uh, but that was fully back in game two. And I think to me, that's the most encouraging thing based on how he played in game one and how he played against this team, you know, in, in all seven games of last year's playoffs. Yeah. And he even, I think it was the opening play of the game. The, I think Boonholzer drew up some play, had, Bledsoe driving to the basket and he just whipped this completely horrible pass trying yeah. to get to Giannis immediate turnover for a dunk to Tatum yeah he had a rough start um, bad but yeah, start he missed it. yeah he hit a hit a couple jump shots you know midway through the first and kind of seemed to get going but I remember when the game like second quarter you know game was basically tied I remember th- like the Bucks were just settling for just three-point jump they weren't even running a real offense you know, there'd be like 12 seconds left in the shot clock and someone would have the ball with like two feet of space Heritage. from three. Yeah. And they'd be like, well, I'll just shoot it. But it was, I mean, it was everybody on the team. Yeah. Well, they took yeah. 47 threes, which honestly, it, it was a franchise record for makes. They hit 20. I'm fine with that number. It didn't, it didn't feel too excessive. I'm, I'm fine with it too. But the, the difference for me was in the first half, I think they were just taking them because they were being lazy and they're mm-hmm. like, it's kind of open. Let's just take it. And then once they started being more aggressive, like I feel like there was such a distinctive difference in the aggressiveness, yes. like Bledsoe trying to get to the lane, you know, Chris Middleton trying to get into the lane, um, basically just everyone trying to get as close to the basket as possible yeah. and then make a pass yes. out and then swing it for threes to get mm-hmm. them more open and potentially get a layup first. Yep. I think that's really when the game turned. Um, and then Bugenholzer changing up the defense a little bit, like also yeah. definitely helped. It all kind of accumulated into one just giant. It was, it was a blowout. Yeah, I mean, driving kick is how they've subsisted really all year on, mm-hmm. on offense, and we didn't see a ton of that. Mostly, due, I, I think, due in large part to how well Boston defended. You know, I mean, right. they, at, they were getting into the lane in game one, but not getting the ball out. You know, you're either getting it stripped or making a bad pass, or by the time you get it out, they're closing. Um, and what was interesting is I didn't, I didn't really think, you know, watching this team in the regular season, 
their bread and butter was, you know, Giannis driving and kicking. And he really wasn't the one doing that. It was, it was a lot more blood. So, you know, a lot of the looks that you're talking about in the second half, you know, Middleton in the corner, Connaughton in the corners, Ilyasova, um, you know, hit, he hit, or actually he went over one. Um, but a lot of those were, you know, Bledsoe driving and kicking or Middleton driving and kicking. It, it, it wasn't, it, it still feels to me like, I guess Giannis has more room to rise in this series. Like oh, it was yeah. a good Giannis game. It was not a great Giannis game. Uh, you know, the final line looks much more efficient, seven of 15. Uh, but it, it still felt like, and you can kind of go back and forth on these. Like he got some calls. He got to the line 18 times. I'm not going to say he didn't get calls, but it felt like there were a couple very obvious ones, you know, watching the replay on some of those plays in the first and second quarter where he could have easily gotten to the line 20 times in this game. And he had a couple and ones that rolled, you know, look like they were going down, rolled out. Um, so, you know, it's, it's been a, a story of two very different games. You know, Boston felt great after game one. Milwaukee feels great after game two. Um, but, you know, if I'm Boston, I'd be a little bit worried because it, it does still feel like, you know, Giannis has another level or two to go in the series. Right. And like you mentioned, there were a lot of times where he was, it felt like he was like five feet from the basket and he was flipping a shot up and it just missed. Right. Like he, it was a shot he very much could have made and, you know, nine times out of 10 probably would have. So there's room for him, you know, to, to really, because he's only shooting 38% yeah. right now from hasn't, the field. Hasn't been a force on defense either. I mean, compared to the Detroit no. series. I mean, he's been, he's been fine, obviously, but he hasn't you know, he hasn't quite, I think he's kind of picking his spots a little bit more, you know, not trying to pick up fouls, which is, which is smart. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he hasn't really challenged shots at the level that, that we've kind of come to expect from him. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, this is exactly the game two that Milwaukee needed. I, I completely oh, yeah. agree that they were, it seemed like they were forcing it. I, I wouldn't call the threes that they were taking in the first quarter, especially uh, lazy, but I think it, it, they were just like d- desperately wanted that big shot to get the crowd into it, to right. get things going um and you know i I think everybody kind of wanted to be the guy to to start the run and that led to some bad looks but once they settled in and you know started playing like we've seen them play all season um you know everybody's kind of back on and i bucks in six or seven still feels like the right pick to me um but we'll see i mean if boston bounces back at home and you know and wins convincingly in game three you know the bucks are kind of right back to where they were a couple days ago yeah very true um last thing we should know malcolm brogdon hopefully back for game three probably back sounds, for game three I mean, he's been practicing yeah sounds encouraging but i even if he does come back like what 15 minutes maybe yeah i mean the fact that the the message you know all through the last few weeks had been game one of this series and then you know kind of out of nowhere they just announced they just rule him out for games one and two which i thought was a little strange especially in the playoffs when you have multiple days between games you know like why why go out and say he's out for games one and two right uh so that tells me that you know this time last week he really wasn't all that close um but obviously we've been tracking that on the site and he he's gone through full practices what three of the last four days i think so um and you know everything that coach bud has said has been positive but yeah i i think even if he does play in three or four he's not going to come back and play 30 minutes i think that would be ideal um especially with the way that Sterling Brown has played in these first two games. I think they could, right. they could certainly use more Brogdon, but I, I don't know that we'll see, you know, the Mal- the 50, 40, 90 Malcolm Brogdon from this season, you know, back at that level until if the Bucks make the conference finals. Right. And I actually think that's part of why the Bucks have been so like, why, why they've been so off these first two games, because he's actually, I don't, I don't know how many like people think of Malcolm Brogdon as like an aggressive player, but like when I think of, him playing i always think of him driving towards the basket like yes. really hard attacking closeouts attacking closeouts he he does a really good job of um getting in front of the defender's body cutting them off going for a yep. layup obviously a knockdown three-point shooter so 
I mean, having him back in any capacity is good because I think he'll energize the team. I think he'll help get the offense back um, into a smoother, just it'll, it'll help smooth out the offense and um, yeah, keep things competitive. Just having another guy, I think, who can do things off the dribble. Like Middleton, to me, he can, but you know, he's not he's not someone you think of breaking someone down. He's like a the jab hole. step, right? Pull yeah. up, eighteen foot guy, and he was great. I mean, he had seven threes the other yeah. night. So I mean, no no really qualms with with Chris Middleton's play, but it was especially evident in game one when Giannis, you know, if, if he's being swallowed up in the lane, even when he was able to kick it out cleanly, I thought Boston did a great job of closing out. And you don't have like Brooke Lopez is not someone who's going to catch the ball and go by you if you close out well. <laughs> Sterling Brown certainly didn't do that. Pat Connaughton really struggled. Bledsoe at the time struggled. I mean, he can when he's on. Uh, George Hill, I thought, was the only one who was able to consistently kind of generate good looks. Uh, and that was, again, the case in game two. So I, I think having Brogdon, <clears throat> it was kind of masked in the Detroit series just because they didn't need him. Yeah. And you know, it never got to the point where you even thought about it. Um, but you know, it's become very clear, I think, that he's probably their third most important player. Yeah, Bucks need like three play uh, three playmakers on the court at the same time. Like, you know, having like you, you kind of need Bledsoe and Brogdon out there because Middleton's not really a playmaker. Like he'll pass, but it's always like a swing pass. It's never yeah. like you know a driving kick sort of a situation that that feels like it created this crazy you know wide mm-hmm. open look. So, um, yeah, having as many playmakers on the court surrounding Giannis is really what what makes the Bucks deadly. Okay, Toronto, Philly. We get game three of that series tonight. Um, <clears throat> I mean, we talked last week about, or even earlier today, I guess, about Denver and Portland being a really fun series. I think this is probably the most fun to watch. Yeah, uh, Golden is, yeah. State and Houston on paper should have been more fun, and it just hasn't. But Toronto and Philly, with the way that Kawhi Leonard is playing and with the way that Philly showed up in game two, I think this this is the series just as an objective basketball watcher that I'm like, most excited to sit down and take in. Right. And I mean, just because the matchups are so good, at least in my opinion, like, you know, Joel Embiid is not having a good time against Marcus Gasol. Um, you know, he's shooting 28% from the field. I mean, that's insanely low. Um, and, it, you know, you have, yeah, like you mentioned, Kawhi's going off. Jimmy Butler having a massive game too. That came out of nowhere because prior to that, he was taking like nine ten shots a game yeah. making like four and a half a game took 22 in game two yeah yeah you're taking more shots in game two than he took like the previous two twice games as combined. many as anyone else on the team right and so like that was completely out of nowhere and i mean that's what the 76ers should be it's like okay you can shut down two of our guys but we yeah. have two more we have tobias harris and jimmy butler right. if we shut down ben simmons and joel Embiid. yeah i mean I- this is one of those situations that I think on paper looked a lot better. And, you know, they haven't had still that much time together. Basically, as soon as they got Tobias Harris, Embiid started having the knee issues. So they just haven't had that much time to gel. And it's really tough to judge them when Embiid is at, you know, 70%. You know, he did, he looked a lot better, I thought, in round one than he has so far in this. And it's just, it's just tough to keep, you know, five really, really good offensive players, you know, even though Ben Simmons is limited keep all five of those guys productive at once. I mean, you look at last night or on, on Monday, six points for Simmons, nine points on three of 11 for Tobias Harris, 12 for Embiid, 11 for Redick, 30 for Jimmy Butler. Like they absolutely needed all 30 of those points from Jimmy Butler. Like if he hadn't stepped up, I don't know. I don't know what happened. So yeah. I don't, I don't really think you can depend on Jimmy Butler at this stage in his career no. to do that every single night. Uh, but there is something to be said, but like he's, he feels like he's done this before. Like when they need him, He's he's happy to be that guy. He's not going to do it 
82 games of the year and certainly not every game in the playoffs but I mean they they needed like I said they needed every single basket of his in game two and it can't really be like that again because you look at how Toronto played in game two Gasol was one of six Danny Green was one of eight Pascal Siakam really struggled late in that game missed some easy shots um you know even even with those struggles for Toronto they were still in a pretty good spot to to try to steal this game at the end yeah and I mean yeah Kawhi and Siakam have been ridiculous Kawhi shooting 62 percent Siakam shooting 53 percent um and they haven't even really needed like their role players that much like you mentioned like Gasol and Danny Green not really having great games didn't really matter um Ibaka was horrible in game two yeah um and it's just the the 76ers don't really have the you know even though they're they have the advantage on the boards and they get to the free throw line a lot you know Toronto still they take care of the ball they make all their open shots for the most part um and they have the best player in the series and I mean Kawhi's playing like the best yes. player in the world right now it's just I mean if he if he was you know if he was playing like 10 percent worse you know this might be a series but I do it's it's he's he's out of control right now I think we forgot how good Kawhi I we did is. like yeah. I definitely did uh, I was talking about this yesterday with the guys on on XM like I mean, he, this was the Kawhi we saw last time he was fully healthy, which was, you know, well over a calendar year ago, you know, in, in San Antonio. But it feels like the hit that he took publicly, you know, his reputation, um, for whatever reason, like that, that like carried into his basketball game. Like it wasn't even about the injury to me. It was, you know, people were so down on Kawhi and, you know, everybody's talking about him missing games and, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of still carrying this like weirdly selfish label, even though he's like never said anything publicly that would lead you to believe that, um, but this, you know, I, I kind of put together a little mini list of, you know, guys who are, you know, quote unquote winners of the playoffs so far. And like he's at the top of the list for me. I, mean, oh, without I, I think doubt. for yeah. round one, it was Lillard. You know, he was the guy who if there was one big takeaway, one thing you were going to talk about, um, you know, it was how he took it to Russell Westbrook. But even though even though Toronto's coming off of a loss, you know, we're only two games into the series. Like Kawhi was so good in game one that to me, it kind of like reset his profile and, and kind of re-solidified him as you know, not only in that top six or seven group that we talked about on the pod last week, but I mean, if you're, if you're starting a team from scratch going into next year and it's, you're just playing out one season, I, he's one of the top three players I think you would pick, right? Yeah, be him, KD, Harden maybe. I think him and KD are locks. I mean, I personally, I would still take LeBron, but I, I, I don't think many people <laughs> LeBron, would. LeBron, sure. Are but, those, is it those three? Like, is that... I, I mean, I, th- I think there's probably an argument to be made for Steph, for sure. Harden, obviously, for Gian- uh, probably Giannis. Yeah, right? I mean, Giannis. Well, I mean, that's that's tough. I mean, if you if you told me, you know, a player to, I don't know, well, one season. If you're saying for the next five years, obviously, it's a little bit no, different d- than just one season. You know, that, that way you don't really have to worry too much about guys breaking down. Yeah, if we um, assumed, like, no injuries. Right, yeah. Stuff like that. Durant versus Kawhi is now much more of a debate than I ever thought. And that's that's credit to Kawhi. Like Durant's been insane, obviously. Yeah. I mean he's he's always been the winner of that hypothetical who would you rather have? But I think Leonard has made it a lot closer now than probably it's ever been. Yeah, I think I looked it up. He has a Kawhi Leonard right now in the playoffs is or is it maybe in the series? it's in the series is plus 47 net rating like what i mean he's probably that's, better than that even for the playoffs that's too. true like that's not even that's not a real number like that's yeah. an, absolutely insane to me like you play that for as you play him as long as you can you play him 40 yeah. minutes because you just you are going to win games when he's out on the court almost despite of what the other teammates will do 
Um, yeah, he's, he's some been... of your teammates might even try to pull a nutmeg with under a minute left. Yeah, exactly. They might. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was good to see him play 42 minutes in that game, actually, because oh, yeah. they, they still kind of limited him a little bit in round one. And understandably. Yeah, right. But we still have never really gotten an answer as to like all the rest and, and whatnot and the limitations throughout the regular season. Like, was that Kawhi asking for that? Was that his camp? Was that just the Raptors decision to keep him fresh? Like, we still don't really know, you know, if they you know was was Kawhi basically okay with them just saying we're gonna play you 45 minutes the rest of the way like I, we still don't really know if that's yeah. okay I, I would assume so at this point um but yeah 35 7 and 6 for him in game two um but Toronto only put up 89 points in that game shot 37 percent as a team 27 percent from three I feel like that's gonna turn around yeah tonight. I I still I think I said Raptors in five for this series. I think we both did, actually. Yeah, let me double check. Yeah, I had I had Toronto in five. You had Toronto in five. I expected them to go up 2-0, so I'm feeling a little iffy about that. I would say maybe Toronto in six, but I even after Philly wins game two, like, I'm still very, very confident that Toronto pulls us out. Yeah, I am too. Um, okay, what? so you've been working on season review articles yeah. on the site. Uh, and which which teams did you just recently finish up? Uh, just recently I did, um, I think it was, uh, I have it here, the Washington. wizards, the yeah. wolves, the Lakers and the heat. Yes. Um, it was, that was interesting because it's a very diverse set of teams as far as like what was expected of them and what happened. You know, you had Minnesota, obviously the whole Jimmy Butler situation. Um, Carl Anthony Towns still played amazing. Um, you know, the wizards had, I mean, the John wall contract is just looming over the entire organization at this point um the lakers i mean just lebron's entire season um you know with them and then miami just kind of you know not reaching expectations kind of confusion about what their roster is Hassan whiteside losing his starting spot late in the year like finally to bam out of bio seen that coming <laughs> exactly josh richardson turning into a you know turning into a real player um can carry an offensive workload but yeah um you know, next week, um, the next group of four teams should be up. So that'll be Hornets, Kings, Clippers, uh, mm. Pistons. And that will be really interesting because then we're getting into the first <clears throat> portion of playoff yeah. teams. And we're basically, we should say, counting up. You know, you're doing four at a time, starting with the worst teams going up. Um, obviously, a lot of these teams are still playing. Um, yeah, I don't have too much to say about the Wizards. I, I was just <laughs> thinking about them the other day. It's like... Ever since John Wall got hurt, you know, the, the only storyline really was Bradley Beals playing well and like everyone but, else just kind of forgot about them. And like, should he just like, should he have been, he led the league in minutes played. Should he have like, no, yeah. <laughs> like they could have, you know, their, their chances of getting a number one pick could have been like raised so high had they just played him like 28 minutes a game, like a normal franchise would have probably done. Um, but instead I think they just wanted to like, I, I don't know. I try to think of a reason like foster a good culture you know bring fans to the arena but like i would rather i'm pretty sure the fans would rather have a better chance like a top four pick yeah yeah that was something i mean it's hard to fault a team for competing obviously but there's not much of an argument to be made especially with the contract um you know albatross that they that they already have on that roster you know like you want to stockpile as many young assets as you can right now low right. cost young assets because you know you're not signing anyone when you have this john wall contract and and the on mahimi contract for that matter <laughs> Um, and it's not like they, they were at no point really in the playoff race. No, I mean, they traded for Trevor Reza to like try to I guess, do that, yeah. I think. But, you know, I understand like 
I don't know if that was more about not wanting to re-sign Kelly Oubre and just like kind of having some other team deal with it. Yeah. But, you know, and they eventually brought in Jabari Parker and, and Bobby Portis, which, okay. Like, I, I mean, you can do that. I don't really understand that one either. Yeah. It's like, are you going to pay Bobby Portis now? Right. You're going you gonna to accept the $20 million Jabari yeah. Parker contract player option? Like, Yeah. Know. there was To me, there was just not a lot of upside with parker especially it's like you said it's not like he has a five million dollar team option for next year where you could say you know if, if he plays well you know we'll we'll just bring him back next year um you're not bringing him back at 20 i, I mean they can still resign him you know it's a team option for oh yeah 20 it's a team option. so they yes. i mean obviously they're not going to pick that up um but I, I also don't know that he showed enough you know i mean the, the chicago stint went literally as expected for, yeah. for jabari like immediately falls out of favor with coach coach is fired <laughs> immediately falls out of favor with that coach and gets traded like of course that's how it went down um yeah i don't i don't really know what his what his trajectory is anymore you know, i don't it's, either it's pretty clear now that he's this all offense guy who can who can score and you know rebound and every now and then play make a little bit and you know he's kind of streaky from three but the lack of progress on the defensive end for him is, is super concerning yeah it is um okay that's all i have on on the wizards was there any anything else from this most recent one that that really stood out i mean i don't have much to say about minnesota either um i mean i guess the good the good thing is that carl carl towns bounced back you know he, he was didn't have so a, good yeah the end right of the year. he didn't have a bad year two years ago but i think with the addition of butler you know his numbers his scoring especially declined closer to 20 21 points per game um and obviously he was back in a big way so even even though you know that season was a complete mess for him like or for that franchise you know for him to bounce back and you know all of a sudden look like a guy who is a future you know franchise foundational piece that everyone thought he was a year ago um at least there's that mini silver lining i guess right they're in a weird spot too though because they have the wiggins contract and if you have the wiggins contract and carl anthony towns it's gonna be hard for you to sign another player especially like if i think carl anthony towns is too good for them to be like a 20 win team to where they're going to be drafting in the top five perennially so they're not really tanking i don't know what moves they can you know make to get super competitive immediately so they're in they're in a rough spot i think from from their financial standpoint and um i don't know miami just not really that interesting of a season in my opinion like just a very bland <laughs> miami season no. given their roster and with the lakers i mean they got lebron they got a ton of cap room like a lot of cap room that they can they can try to they can try to swing somebody. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that goes down because there are so many different scenarios. Uh, players they can get, Jabari trades Parker's they can make. Jabari. <laughs> uh, I, have, I have no confidence whatsoever in the Lakers this summer. I, I really no. think we're I mean, heading... the Magic Johnson thing? I don't even know. Did we talk about that? No. I don't know if we did. I think I talked about it with James, oh, with James a little bit. Yeah. I think it happened the day that James and I happened to be recording, like an hour before, <laughs> so that was nice. Um I mean, it's. I think it's good that they got Magic out because well, I think that so was too. clearly not going in the right direction. But it could be worse if they replace him. If they hand over his decision making to like Kurt Rambis, like I, I think yeah. at, at best that's a lateral move. Um, you know, I. I mean, I'd said two years ago when they when they brought on Magic, I, I think I said to James, like, I, I think they were wildly overestimating his impact. You know, it's like his whole pitch is, get me in a room with somebody. I'm a businessman. I'll close the deal. Right. Clearly, that wasn't the case. I, I don't. I think they they overestimated how much today's players like idolize Magic. You know, I think LeBron's been very LeBron open about does. that. Like he obviously does. I think he idolizes Magic. They're similar players, but I think his you know his off court accomplishments are are what really kind of endears him to Magic. If you're a 25 year old you know free agent this year, 
these guys are younger than us. Like we certainly don't remember Magic Johnson playing basketball at no. all. You know, like I, I don't think that there's like this mystique around Magic for for maybe the younger generation that that there would be for guys who were in LeBron's generation. Yeah, I mean, all you get, I mean, for us, you know, it's just like watching ten minute highlight clips of magic on youtube that are spotty quality you see that's all we know you've seen the same 15 magic johnson plays because no one was recording all right because i mean you you know they'll they'll show a montage of magic highlights before a lakers game maybe or or something like that or on the anniversary of his you know finals game where he had a triple double stuff like that like you just you know you know magic johnson through a very limited set of plays and i think like i said i mean there are people that are younger than us that the lakers are trying to pitch right and i i just you know, clearly it doesn't really hold the weight that they thought it would. And, you know, even if it did now he's gone, I don't know what, I don't know what the move is. Like it's, it's just looking more and more and more like that doomsday scenario of Clay Thompson stays, KD goes to the Knicks, Kyrie either stays in Boston or goes to the Knicks. Davis gets traded to the Celtics and all of a sudden it's Kemba Walker or Chris Middleton or Tobias Harris or possibly the worst of all, Jimmy Butler. <laughs> I mean, you know, if they got, I mean, if they got Kemba Walker, like let's say they if they got Kemba Walker and Chris Middleton, that wouldn't be is that a failure of an offseason? I mean for those the Lakers, are Lakers, yes. For anyone else, no. I mean, it depends. Are you signing these guys to five year max contracts? Like then maybe. Maybe. If it was three or four years, you know, basically the the length of LeBron's contract. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, LeBron hasn't had that quality of teammates in two years, three years, depending on yeah. what your opinion of you know chris middleton plus kemba walker compared to kevin love and kyrie irving is i think that's fairly comparable I, I, and for the record i think those guys would be really good fits as far as lebron I think type so of too. players like chris yeah. middleton is kind of the ideal you know kind of three and d third guy yeah. yeah right wing and then you know kemba i think kyrie certainly better but he's kind of a mini version of kyrie in a lot of ways right yeah it's it's going to be interesting i like I said, I have very little confidence. I, I think the appeal of playing for the Lakers and playing for this version of LeBron's Lakers, you know, which it's very clearly his team, you know, and that was, that was the case in Miami. That was the case in Cleveland, but this feels I think different. that if, yeah, if, if your fear as a star player is, I don't want to be enveloped and swallowed up by LeBron's orbit and just be another guy on LeBron's team, like that mystique, whether it's, whether it's real or not is you know, more salient now, I think, than it's ever been. Right. I mean, I mean, maybe guys like Kemba and Chris Middleton wouldn't have that feeling as much because... Right. Well, Kemba especially hasn't really won anything. Yeah, I mean, Kemba's... He doesn't know any better. <laughs> right. He's made three all-star teams. Like, he's really good, but, you know, he's never really been on the national stage other than when he right. was in college. And, you know, Chris Middleton has been kind of the second to third, you know, guy in the Bucks for a while yeah. behind Giannis. And so, that like, him going to the Lakers doesn't really change mm-hmm. that. In fact, he'd probably get more coverage. Yeah. Um, if anything well I think Kemba especially is is will be a very interesting test case if it does come to that like someone you know Clay Thompson is probably the ideal guy to play off of LeBron he's not going to the Lakers I don't know why people think that's going to happen <laughs> but someone like him you you could totally understand why you wouldn't you know it's like he's going to have four rings um, you know playing in a system where there's almost no pressure on him right it's, it's ideally designed for him he can stay there and resign if he wants like there's just a very there's no argument for him to leave to go play with LeBron and deal with all that. No. Kemba, you know, you can make the same case for Kemba. Like, why would you want to go play with LeBron? You're going to get blamed if they lose. Um, you know, it's a complete circus in terms of management. Uh, but for Kemba, he might just say, like, it's well worth it for me. Because if I stay here, I'm probably not making making it out of the first round the rest of my career. And yeah. there's not really another team, you know, that you can point to who's, 
who needs a you know a high usage point guard and and who's going to immediately be a contender like all the baggage that LeBron and the, and the Lakers bring for someone like Kemba it's probably worth it in the end I mean uh, Kemba's going to be 29 next year right I mean he's you know he's older than I think people realize and so for him like this is I mean, he's already towards the end of his prime right. and he you know I think like you mentioned you know he I mean there's some you know, he, he, he's almost made it, and I wrote this, he's kind of made his free agency into a non-story because every time someone asks, he's like, I just want to be here. And not that yeah. many people ask because it's it's Charlotte and, like, right. the you know, national media doesn't really care. But, you know, it, it feels like, I mean, it's just hard to imagine being in his situation and not leaving. Like, there's something to be said about he can become the greatest, like, hornet of all time. Sure. Um, but I think that's more of a... Who cares? That, <laughs> that's, that's something you'd feel like, Clay Thompson would rather be one of the, you know, I can understand Clay Thompson staying. Right. Like, I want to be known as one of the best Warriors of all time. I'll stay here through, you know, until I'm 36 and go down that way. But for Kemba, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't really add up the well, same Well, I think way. you can, there's some parallels with like Lillard, you know, where I think Lillard has made it pretty clear. Like he wants to go down as the best trailblazer ever. And that's, that's an attainable title. You know, they've had, yeah. they've had probably a, a, a richer history than the Hornets have had, um, you know, in terms of who, who would hold that title. But at least with Lillard, like, you know, he hasn't gotten to the finals. He hasn't really been close, but, you know, he's he's earned a hell of a lot more respect individually than Kemba has. And his teams have at least been somewhat of a threat. Like with Kemba, I mean, if he, if it was anybody else but him, you know, who seems to be content and, you know, kind of just good with towing the, the party line um, and not really complaining over anything, like it's this is a situation where the fans could not be upset if he ends up deciding to leave. I mean, it's... They put nothing around him the last four or five years, and then there's an argument to be made that it's even bleaker going forward than it's been, you know, these past few. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because you have Batum and Marvin Williams still in the books for next year, um, and <laughs> Cody Zeller is still there, and I mean, they have some interesting pieces like Lamb is was all right this season. He's a free and, agent too. I mean, they just <laughs> Miles Bridges. I, you're but, not staying there because you, I don't think he would walk away and think, man. In another life, I'd love to play this out and see what Miles Bridges becomes. <laughs> or, you know, I really like Malik Monk. Like, they just, they don't have anything. And if they lose him, I mean, I, I guess I went out on too far of a limb last year and said that the Hawks would be one of the worst teams ever, which they weren't. Right. Um, but if, if Kemba leaves Charlotte and, yeah, I mean, who are, you're not going to bring in another all star or even close to all star caliber player to replace him. You know, I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, you're bringing in at best like a Jeff Teague type, something like that. Yeah. And then um, at that point, why? Right. Well, yeah, it's like you're, I mean, you can, you had a guy who was happy to be here, who is as big of a star as you're going to get in Kemba played really well for most of the year, you know, carrying a terrible supporting cast and still couldn't make the playoffs. You know, I yeah. mean, they're, they're a type of team that you talk about Washington this year. Like if Kemba walks, hmm. Kemba walks, um, <laughs> there's no reason for them to compete. And they, they, they could legitimately be an all time bad team on, on purpose. Yeah, I'm on the uh, basketball reference page of the Hornets, and um, Kemba Walker is already top win shares all time for the Charlotte Hornets. Oh, no. Um, and number two is Gerald Wallace. Um, so I think it's pretty safe to say that uh, Kemba has that, probably already has the title of Grace yeah, so Hornet all time locked that. up. He's yeah. already accomplished it. He's ahead of Gerald Wallace, Muggsy Bogues, and Larry Johnson. He's got that. So he can. How is Gerald Wallace that high? That, I mean, that was, a, that was my question. Um, I tried to look into it a little bit, but you know, um, didn't didn't think about it. I was looking at, I was writing a little bit about the Timberwolves earlier. You want to see a depressing all-time top twelve players list? <laughs> oh man, Nikola Pekovic, 
11th best player in the history of the Timberwolves. Wow. He was, I I remember being like, you know, kind of upset when his career was over because he was, he he, was fun to watch actually. Did he tear his Achilles? I can't remember. I think it was something, it was something like that. And it like, it's really dramatic. He was like day to day for an entire season and then just retired and never came back. Yeah. He was, I mean, he actually had some nice years. Um, Oh my goodness. Gorgie Jang is on this list. He is number six. What? What? (laughs) He's been around forever. And he just like I, plays minutes. I, he does I play mean, minutes. I, <laughs> that's that's he's all. Twenty nine. <laughs> yeah. he, he's played ten thousand minutes for them. I don't know, man. He's the sixth most winning player in Minnesota Timberwolves history. Gorgie mm-hmm. Jang above Rubio. I feel bad now worth. for for even bringing up these other guys. Like this. Apologies to Gerald Wallace. We'll have to do a deep dive one day on all these on the top twelve. Uh, Top 12 all-time yes. players of every team. That would make for actually a really good, really informative, great listen, I'm sure, podcast. <laughs> of just, all right, and on to the next team. <laughs> Tom Gugliotta is on this list. Uh, all right. You got anything else? I got any, nothing Any else. other NBA topics that are just burning your brain right now? Um, not at this exact moment. Yeah, no. it has. All right. Well, we'll enjoy Toronto-Philly Game 3 tonight. We've got Milwaukee-Boston Game 3 on Friday night, and then Denver-Portland is a nightcap. And then just one game on Saturday, Golden State-Houston. So I think we'll get back probably Tuesday or Wednesday of next week and maybe have some round three series to preview. Mm-hmm. Playoffs, player, turn up, player. Cinco, cuatro, tres, dos, uno. It's going Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.